we will read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18, and I'm reading from the Tree of Life version. For it was fitting for God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in leading many sons to glory, to perfect through suffering the initiator of their salvation. For both he who sanctifies and those being sanctified are all from one. So he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am, the children God has given me. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same humanity so that through death he might break the power of the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who by fear of death were in bondage all their lives. For surely he is not concerned about angels, but about the seed of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful Kohingadal, a high priest, in matters relating to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he put to re- when he when he put to the test, he is able to help those being tested. Thank you, Sharon. I remember a number of years ago taking a trip to Oregon and uh, standing on a jetty. And uh, just looking out over the water, and it was a phenomenal sensation. Uh, the waves were churning, and I felt that if I were foolish enough to dive into it, I would never emerge again. And uh, there are times when I look into the Word of God, read and meditate on Scripture, and uh, have that sensation that... It is so profound, so magnificent that I feel like I can scrape the surface and that there's so much more. And so I invite you today as we look into the Word to simply ask whatever it is that God wants to speak to you. So let's do that. Abba Father, we thank you for the magnificent word that you give us. Lord, that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We uh, bless your name, Lord, that you see fit to direct our path, that you see fit to reveal yourself to us, and, and we are awestruck by that we thank you Lord God that uh, you care and that you came walked among us suffered, died and rose again and that you continue on our behalf we thank you Lord God we ask that you open our eyes in Yeshua's name Amen Joy and I married a number of years ago. I won't tell you how many. And uh, her father, I found to be delightful. He was a Reformed Jew and a 32nd degree Mason. And, of course, friends and uh, folks from from Yeshua Tzion were convinced that I needed to do something spectacular in order to break the stronghold of masonry in his life. I don't know, folks, I just tend to be simple-minded because my thought is, if the Lord can get a hold of him, the Lord can get a hold of him, period. So we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed some more and shared with him... um, 
and every so often uh, he was done. Wall went up, and he would say something like, I was born a Jew, I died, I will die a Jew. End of story. So I knew that uh, you really didn't want to go beyond that. However, as you walk with God, and as God walks with you, you get the fact that this really is not about you. It, it isn't about how slick and powerful and dynamic, charismatic, all of that you are, but it is about how powerful God is. And so at some point, Harold, Goldwasser was his name, um, began to kind of edge towards Yeshua. And he came to a point where he said, you know, I think I can believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. And at some point, he got a little closer to saying, I think maybe he is my Messiah. But the, the line in the sand for him was the deity of Yeshua. And so we talked about that from time to time, and it was clear that there was no way he could get his arms around that. And um, Joy's brother died, and uh, Harold ran out of answers. It, it didn't make any sense to him why he should bury his children. And so we flew in to St. Louis to be with him, to be there for the funeral. And we were sitting around in his living room at 11 o'clock. And that's where he sees fit to turn to me and to ask me to explain to him about the deity of Yeshua. Now, I would not have picked that time to talk about the deity of Yeshua. In fact, I don't think I would have picked that time to talk about anything of great significance. You, you can understand after flying in, after going through the funeral, and late at night, and I somehow came to this passage here in Hebrews 2. And I shared that with him. And for some reason that I didn't understand, he could, arm, he could wrap his arms around the deity of Yeshua at this point. And, and at some point later, he professed and embraced Yeshua. Actually, he said at that point that he had always believed in Yeshua, but kind of in his own way. And so um, part of the conviction I came from that is the realization that we pay so much, so little attention to who Yeshua is today. Think about it. Um, we talk about Yeshua coming to this world, dying um, a death to atone for our sins, according to Scripture. We talk about what's going to happen in the future when Yeshua would come and reign on this earth and fix this mess that we're in. But we are absolutely, for the most part, detached from the truth of the Word of God that Yeshua is alive and well and active on our behalf today. And so much of that truth is found in this book, the book of the Messianic Jews, the book of Hebrews. And, and I, my conviction is that so much of the time we are reluctant to enter into it because you have all this stuff about angels and about Melchizedek and about sacrifices and about all kinds of things that are not from 21st century American mindset user-friendly. So we kind of skip over Hebrews and come to the passages that we like or are comfortable with. And I don't know, maybe some folks here have read and studied the book of Hebrews, but it's somewhat neglected. 
and especially the truth about who Yeshua is today. So the question that came to mind, you know, as we're wrestling with the events of the week and uh, the events of the last several months, um, you know, kind of the uh, ISIS in the morning, ISIS in the evening, ISIS in noonday time. Uh, there, ISIS is here, ISIS is there, ISIS everywhere. And uh, not to mention the other kinds of crises that we deal with. And so the question that, that from time to time comes to my mind, and I imagine comes to everybody's mind, is why should we bother pouring our hearts before Abba, before our Heavenly Father? I mean, he's got all kinds of things on his plate. There are seven billion people. Uh, there are stars beyond stars. I was looking at the statistic that uh, astronomers estimate that there are somewhere about 100 billion galaxies. And if the galaxies are like our galaxy, the Milky Way, Milky Way with 300 million stars, so if you're to do the math, you can see that this is literally astronomical. Um, and you say, why would God give a rip about me? Why would we want to pour our heart to him? And part of the message of Hebrews, particularly this chapter, is simply the fact that Abba our Heavenly Father is deeply concerned for our welfare, which ties into why we celebrate Yom Yeshua, the day of Jesus. Beginning in, in uh, verse 6 of this chapter, but there is a place where someone testified, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him. Of course, this place uh, this is a direct quotation from the book of Psalms, chapter 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You know, and here the psalmist is looking up at, at the sky at night, when everything on earth is dark and, and you see all the stars and, and you, you marvel, you marvel. You know, if God put all these stars in place, why on earth would he care about me? Reality is, um, I, I don't think... I don't think we think about that often enough because we're so self-consumed. Think about it. Um, how much of your thought process has to do with who you are or maybe those closest to you, but especially who you are? What am I doing? What should I do? Did I do well? Did I foul up? How can I fix it, etc., etc.? And so the notion that somehow God is engaged with us that God cares is something that is sometimes a steep, a steep learning curve, steep because we are preoccupied with us. So part of deprogramming, in a sense, part of our putting in a new operating system into our computer means that we learn to focus on who God is and who we are because of that and, and his love for us. Again, coming back to the Psalms, Psalm 103, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the, the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. As a father, this is 103.13, as a father has compassion on his children, 
The Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Now, as I've often mentioned from time to time, I would say most or all of us have father issues of one kind or another. You know, the notion that what you see on Hallmark Hall of Fame and and, uh, Kodak Moment and so on, that's frankly a lie. Or it is a lie for most people. Uh, This is not to berate fathers. I am a father, I am a grandfather. But because of our brokenness and our limitations, um, our fathers are limited in what they can do. We are limited in what we can do. And so our getting our arms around the truth of the fact that Abba Father cares for us is something that doesn't come naturally to us. And we have to look at these kinds of scriptures and we have to say, I choose to embrace this as the truth. And learn to saute your mind in these kinds of verses. Because otherwise, our identity is based on all kinds of wrong things that really cannot bear the freight. Either how strong we are, how strong other people are, etc., etc., etc. And so ultimately, we have to come back to this reality and learn to be grounded and rooted and established on that kind of truth. And, and at least for me, in ministry and in life in general, I look at all the times where I, where I goof up and um, there are a multitude. If I were to park on them, I would go literally stark, raving mad. You know, trying to perpetually create scenarios where, okay, uh, I could fix this if I were to do this, this, and this. And at some point, you realize it's a useless, it's worth, it's worse than useless. It's counterproductive. And you realize that you really don't have to prove anything to God. Why? Because God knows you. You can't snow him. You can't try to present an image, you know, that is airbrushed because he knows all the yuck in you. And so you stand before him in confidence and simply say, Father God, you know who I am. I don't need to prove anything to you. I simply want to learn to receive your love and to embrace it and build my life on it. That's a stretch. But it begins with taking small steps and say, okay, that's where I want to go. Or you can do what I would frankly consider stupid because I've been there. (laughs) And um, determine that your life is based on what you can understand, what you can figure out, you can fix, etc., etc. Doesn't really get you anywhere. It's, It's like... It's like a bottomless pit. You pour, 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 pour into it, and it's never filled. You're never filled. Instead, you look at these scriptures, and you say, yes, that's where I want to park. And then you realize that what God pours into you is not just because you're cute and clever, but because he has a functional purpose for you. He has a job for you. He has a calling for you. You know, people have a hard time with the notion that God selected Israel. Of course, if you saw Fiddler on the Roof, remember the scene where, where Tevye, the milkman, says, God, is it true that you have selected us? You've chosen us? Why don't you choose somebody else for a change? <laughs> but the simple reality, folks, is because God chooses us, He chooses us not only for our purposes, but for his purposes that he has 
for us to do. And we don't get it. We don't get it, folks. Our attitude is, God, it's me and you, or maybe me and my family and a friend or two, and I have need, and would you please take care of my need now? Forgetting the simple fact that the Lord calls on us, and he calls on us to serve him. If you were to read Matthew 24 and 25, you'll see how much time, airspace, Yeshua devotes to the reality that you and I are to serve God. To serve God. Get, our, get off our collective tuchai and serve. And serve. Do. And yes, on one level it is very humbling because you say, Lord, who am I to serve? You know, we saw that last Shabbat with Paul, the great apostle, saying, Lord, I am the worst possible candidate for you to choose for me to be an apostle. Now, if Paul can say that, guaranteed I can say that, I think you can as well. At some point, you just, before, just as you say, God, who am I to receive your love? You say, God, who am I to serve you? There are all kinds of people who are a whole lot more equipped, gifted, etc., etc., to do the work. But here I am, little old me. And so the writer here talks about how that, he goes back to creation, he talks about how that when God made Adam, he gave him a job right off the bat. He said, you have a job. You are to oversee creation in the garden. You're to name them, and naming isn't just saying uh, Joe Schmo, um, Susie, etc. It, it has the sense of having, um, being very much aware of the needs and managing. Verse 7 here in this chapter, you made him a little lower than the angels, you crowned him with glory and honor, you put everything under his feet. Now, and, and this is typical for how the writer of this book kind of proceeds. This is Jewish logic that may or may not make sense to you. By the way, I say the writer because the truth is we really don't know for sure who wrote this, this letter. Um, but he makes a connection. He talks about something and then says, oh yeah, by the way, uh, that kind of leads me to this, which kind of leads me to this, which kind of leads me to that. And part of the argument, of course, if you are a first century Jew, you'll say, yeah, let me make a point, and then you come back to the Tanakh, to the Old Testament, to justify what you just said. And here, the approach that he uses is called, the rabbinic argument is called the string of, per of pearls, because he quotes all these snippets of scripture from different places in the Tanakh and the Old Testament. So, so then he talks about God's care. He talks about God giving uh, people the assignment to serve him. Then he speaks about Yeshua. And remember that for Yeshua, life was about serving. He, sa he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. You know, sometimes we, we don't get if that's how our master was, our rabbi, then what else are we supposed to do but serve? So we realize all of that and we struggle with the fact that here is God who made all these trillions of galaxies and, and, and stars and so on, why would we bother pouring our heart to him? And what the writer of Hebrews says to us is that there's somebody in the court of heaven 
please remember that there are things about God we understand and that there are things about God we don't understand. Okay? There's no shame in saying that this is a mystery. It, it is. Somehow in the court of heaven, we have someone who goes to bat for us, who understands us. Why? Because he has walked in our shoes and he's related to us. Now, do you, do you realize that you are Yeshua's brother or Yeshua's sister? That's again, blows my circuits. It's okay. But because of that, we have the confidence that God understands us. I mean, we don't understand ourselves. Maybe you do. Maybe you have full and complete knowledge of who you are and what you do and what you say and what you think. I don't. God does. We see that earlier in the Psalms again. O Lord, Psalm 139, you have searched me and you know me. By the way, when God, when Scripture speaks about God searching us, it isn't because he is lacking information. And uh, he looks at Karen and says, you know, I really don't know what she's thinking. Uh, let, let me uh, go through her computer files and figure out what's, what's going on in her brain. No. God searches us not for his sake but for our sake to reflect to us what's rooting around in, in this gray matter. 139.2 You have known me when I sit, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my, on my tongue, you know it completely. And that, folks, is for the time when we are feeling particularly obnoxious and rebellious and we kind of want to hide from God for a moment, foolishly thinking, okay, I'm, I'm kind of hiding here. Okay, God, I don't know where you are at the moment. You, you're not paying attention, so I'm going to do this stupid thing. The Lord knows all of that. He knows all of that. Second Chronicles 16 tells us that the eyes of the Lord range th throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. In other words, God's video cameras are, are panning the entire world. He sees what we're doing. So somehow, because Yeshua came, walked with us, died and rose again for us and is up in heaven interceding for us, praying for us. By the way, Yeshua is the only one who is really doing that. It's no other human being, St. Teresa, by the way, who is a Jewish believer. Um, this is kind of a uh, cheap shot here. Yeah, she was, actually. Um, Yeshua intercedes for us. And he understands us because he's our relative. Now this is something that the writer here in this chapter goes on and on and on and on. Why? In order to pound this reality to people who are hearing what is being said, by the way, this is not a letter per se as much as it was a sermon that was to be read for people in a congregational setting like ours. And so he talks about this over and over and over again. Let me just read to you, refresh your memory from what Sharon said. Both the one who made man holy and those who are, who are made holy are of the same family. So Yeshua is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And then here you have these, a number of these statements from the Tanakh, from the Old Testament. I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises and so on. 
Then verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery for their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Now again, folks, some of this flies over us at Mach 15. It's okay to say that. Some of us we can't understand. Verse 17, for this reason Yeshua had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest to serve to God that he might make atonement for us. Why did Yeshua need to become a member of our family, the human family? Simple reality is that he could not save us. And, and here, the, the notion of Redeemer comes back from the Torah, from Leviticus 25, from Deuteronomy 25, that when someone became a slave, a member of the family, could redeem them, could buy them back, or if they sold their property, a member of the family could purchase the property back on their behalf. Or if they sold sold themselves to slavery, they could be purchased back. Or, in Deuteronomy 25, if, if a wife became widowed, then her husband's brother needed to come and marry her. And of course, we see that in the book of Ruth. This is called goel or human or, or kinsman redeemer. Again, Yeshua had to be like us. He could not be a Klingon. <laughs> Seriously, for many, many people, folks, think about it. For many, many people, God is unapproachable. It's certainly the case in traditional Judaism which praises God but really for the most part doesn't understand about the personal connection. It certainly is the case for many who are Christians who don't understand God's passionate love for them. Yeshua had to become a member of our family in order to save us. Now, here's the other question for you. What happened when Yeshua died and rose again? Did his humanity, his body, kind of fly off and, and he, he no longer is human? Again, folks, I know that this is kind of stretching the brains here. But let me quote to you a, a, a statement from Scripture. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Yeshua, the Messiah. The man, Yeshua, the Messiah. Now, I, I can't stand here and explain to you exactly how that works. None of us can. It's okay. It's a mystery. But that's what the Word of God says. And of course, lots of people broke their teeth. I would say that where you have heresy having to do with Yeshua in one form or another, it has to do with his humanity and his deity, how the two of them work. Yeshua came, suffered, died, rose again, is up in heaven interceding for us. His humanity continues. Because of that, he is able to engage, to continue to engage in our behalf. So, question for you. Does God want you to be the same way 
a year from now as you are today. I hope you can say to me, absolutely not. Well, how does that happen? It doesn't happen because you're strong and dynamic and you're determined and you work hard and you somehow pull yourself by your bootstraps. Absolutely not. The way it happens is because God is continually at work in your life. Yes, you, one of seven billion people, he's continually at work in your life and somehow he teaches you how to work with him, how to collaborate with him, to be a partner with him in this. So because of that, there is that growth spiritual growth into maturity where we somehow learn to become men and women of God in this crazy, whacked-out world. Because Yeshua can relate to us. There's someone in a court of heaven who can really relate to us, really fully understand us. He sympathizes with us. As I mentioned earlier, the word sympathize means to suffer together. That's what it means, but obviously to have a sense of appreciation for what a person suffers. If you know our story, the story of our family, Joy and I and, and our child and grandchildren, we know that we have, we have suffered. We've gone through a lot because our child, our daughter, made some terrible decisions and kind of dragged us along with her. And no, it was not fun. But somehow, the Lord sustained us. And because of that, people who have had issues with Rebellious children can relate to us because we've walked in the same place. And that's really what Scripture is talking about when it says that Yeshua suffered, he can relate to us. And no, he was not a, an addict of crack cocaine, or and no, he was not addicted to. Um, um, Computer games or, or, or uh, overeating, etc., etc., etc. But he, he went through what it means to be a human. And the writer here tells us some things that are also kind of a stretch for us to understand. Verse 10, in bringing many sons to glory... It was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. And you see that repeated in several places in the book of Hebrews. And you say, what? He was God in human form. What does it mean that he had to be perfect? Well, when we think of perfection, what do you think of? Well, you think of a flawless diamond, right? In contrast to an industrial-grade diamond. But Scripture, when it uses this word perfect, doesn't mean something that is flawless necessarily, but it means going through a process of maturation and growth and development and coming to a place were a place of completion. Now somehow, in Yeshua's humanity, that had to happen. Just like he grew up, he was a baby, he grew up, he learned to live as a human, he learned to hear the voice of the Father, he learned to obey, he learned to commit fully, he became perfected or completed. And the major way of how that took place is through the suffering. 
Now think about that. Suffering for, for us basically means a complete waste of time, doesn't it? You find yourself in a tough spot and you say, God, get me out of here. I'm having a bad time. Hello, are you listening? We don't typically stand before God and say, Lord, this is a hard time. But thank you for this hard time. Because you tell me to give thanks in all things. So thank you. I I would ask for a show of hands, but maybe not. So, Yeshua had to undergo the suffering in order for him to be completed in his humanity, in his relationship with the Father, just like you and I do. You may have heard this week that um, Andre Crouch, a well-known gospel singer, songwriter, arranger, Recorder, producer, pastor, etc. All, all around good guy. Um, passed away this week of a um, massive heart attack. And he was also referred to as the father of modern gospel music. He wrote some very famous songs. Such as To God Be the Glory and Soon and Very Soon and so on. What... What was wonderful about Andre Crouch is that he was not ashamed in, in his interaction in the recording industry. By the way, he, he got seven Grammys. Um, and was friends with people that we might not necessarily have been friends with, such as Michael Jackson, um, but he was not ashamed to speak about who he is. And there was one song in particular that really grabbed me. And by the way, when Andre Crouch came to Israel, um, he was very warmly welcome. Because Israeli have learned to have sharp radar. They could tell the real thing from what is fake. They knew that Andre Crouch was the real thing. And of course, um, he hadn't learned the uh, correct messianic terminology when he was here. At this point, he knows that Jesus is also Yeshua. Tongue-in-cheek here. But here's a song that he wrote called Through It All. And I just want to read some of the uh, lyrics because they bless me. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave me the blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. That, by the way, is the teaching of the Word of God. I've been in lots of places, I've seen lots of faces, there have been times I felt so all alone, but in my lonely hours, yes, those precious lonely hours. Did you catch that? Precious lonely hours. Jesus lets me know that I was his own. I thank God for the mountains, I thank him for the valleys, I thank him for the storms he brought me through. For if I had never had a problem, I wouldn't know God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. And so, knowing the fact that Yeshua relates to us, reminds us the basic fact that we are not on our own. Which means 
that when we're going through hard times, which we all do, there isn't a single human being here who hasn't gone through hard times, that we pause and pour our heart before the Father, knowing that he, that he cares, that He has a plan for us, that Yeshua understands us and relates to us. And here's, here's the kicker. Here's the, the punchline. He not only understands what we go through, He's able to help. Verse 16 and verse 18 of this chapter. For surely it is not angels He helps, but Abraham's descendants. And by the way, the, the word helps is in the present tense, which means that he didn't just help yesterday. He is not only going to help tomorrow, he's helping us today. Verse 18, because he himself suffered because he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted or tested. The word can mean either then in chapter, six, uh, chapter 4, we have this even more strongly stated. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may find mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Several things here. One is God's help comes in a timely fashion. Not when, what, not when we consider is timely fashion, but when he considers it. And there's power. There's power. God doesn't sit there and listen to us and cries with us. And cries helplessly and said, I wish I can do something to help you. There's power. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. The word there for help means decisive kind of help. And maybe it doesn't come in your kind of time frame. It will always come about in God's time frame. Again, why bother pouring out our heart before Abba Father? Because He cares. He is deeply concerned about our welfare. There's someone, secondly, there's someone in the heavenly court who really understands us. And thirdly, there's all the power to help us decisively. And perhaps you hear you've never embraced Yeshua as your Messiah. Or perhaps your relationship with Him is kind of wobbly. We, that's okay. We've all gone through that from time to time. We all struggle. No shame in admitting that, is there? And yet, the Lord doesn't run away. The Lord doesn't run away. And so because of that, folks... That's why we are determined, why we are spurred, stirred to press on. We don't focus on the past. We don't microanalyze what took place in the past. Yes, we need to understand the blessed hope, the fact that He's coming. But God has put us here and now. He wants us to pour our energy in His service. This is what Paul tells us, and I want to finish with that. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have been made complete, but I press on to take hold of that for which Messiah Yeshua took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider yet 
to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on towards a goal to win the prize for which God has called me. Heavenward in Messiah Yeshua. In other words, God has a calling, God has a destiny for each one of us. And we can either shrink back and say, forget it. Never going to happen. Or we can say, God is engaged with me and because of that, I am going to press. Because he is engaged, his plan will be accomplished. And that's what I'm banking on. Let's pray. Father God, we bless your name that you know us, you understand us, you know that we are dust, you've created us from this, from this earth. Thank you, Lord God, that we don't have to prove anything to you. Thank you, Lord God, that you love us with a deep, unshakable, consistent love. Thank you, Lord Yeshua, that you came. You became one of us. You suffered. You died. You rose again. And you are interceding before the throne. You're able to redeem us fully and completely. We thank you for that. We thank you, Father God, for your Ruach, your spirit that fills us and enables us to walk in your ways and to serve you. And Lord, that's our heart's desire. It's our heart's desire, Lord, not to sit on the bench, not to give in to fear and discouragement, but Lord God, to follow your example. Looking unto you, Lord Yeshua. Following your example. On this day, Yom Yeshua, we pray that you would fill our screen. That we would follow you. Thank you, Lord God. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen.